Seconds flat. Here he up. Look at Bill! Look at Bill! This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Sammy's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Hello, everyone, and welcome in for mile 127 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. It is great to be back with you. Phil, how we doing? Doing good. It's good to be back. Good. It's great to have you back. It's good to see that you brought your CIM countdown hourglass, the sand (laughs) ticking away. It's been 15 weeks and five days? Gosh, you're on it. Yeah, I believe it's about 110 days to the the showdown, the duel in the shade, I think they're going to call it. (laughs) It'll be legendary. It will be. Well, you got a good look of of the view that you'll see. Oh, here. 26. Here comes the taunting. yesterday. Yeah, well, we will jump into our training here in a second. First, before we do that, one event update. European championships are happening right now. You can get coverage on a relatively short delay on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So if you're watching and want to see any replays it's all on youtube but you can get same day coverage there and there is some internet access to the live footage and in general what great track and field racing we have had this summer between the world championships yes what two weeks ago three weeks ago yeah we had the commonwealth games yep last week or so and then now we got the european championships it's it's been a good summer for for track and field yeah the timeline shift because of the olympics pushing back Uh uh-huh And COVID. It, it and sure stunk in 2020, but now yeah. we're, we're reaping the benefits of seeing a lot of great action. One race from that that I want to quickly draw your attention to. If you are not watching the European Championships and you have not seen the footage from the Men's Marathon, get to YouTube immediately. Oh, it's fantastic. Type in European yes. Championships 2022 Marathon. I sent it to you yesterday. I've been telling all my yep. friends, you got to watch it. The full block of coverage is like 45 minutes because it's essentially the spliced version because they were going in and out of it live with other events taking place. But it is uninterrupted for about the final 20 to 25 Mm -hmm. minutes. The last, even from about 6K out, are pretty dramatic. I don't even want to spoil who wins for people who haven't seen it because you won't believe who wins until there's about one second left in the race. It is the most exciting and dramatic marathon finish I can remember in quite some time. We've had a couple down-to-the-wire like Boston finishes Uh in recent years, but the comeback element here and having a German in the mix at At home home. in Munich. Mm -hmm. Well, just that setting... At that finish line. Oh, yeah. With him coming down the last, what, 200, 400 plus meters. Crowds going wild. You know, stacked. Yeah. And and the one little spoiler I'll give you is don't look over your left shoulder to see if someone's coming when he's sneaking up on you from the right. (laughs) Because that could bite you after 26.19 miles where it all happened. So check it out. Euro champs, men's marathon. Find it on YouTube. I would say marathon race of the year so far. Oh, absolutely. Absolute gold. Well, and a great 
example of just a championship race where yes. so many of these races are like time trials or paced events where yeah. it's just who can hang on the lap the longest and who's who's falling off towards the end. Whereas this is truly a a race down to the finish. And the winner was tactically the most sound. Yeah. Yeah. So great action. Check it out. Phil, what do you say we take a spin through the last week of our training? Yeah, that sounds uh, good. It is Wednesday. Now, my normal rule is we don't count the day we're on, but I've already doubled today. Oh, okay. And triple is not in the plan. <laughs> You're so, done for the day. So you want to go with last Thursday to this Wednesday? Yeah. That'd be the last seven days. That you want, you want to me, give that uh, a shot? So for context, last week was a vacation week down at the beach. It was with the extended in-law, so it was a great opportunity to get out of the house and go for a run and do some training away from everybody. Uh-huh. You were at the uh, the Monaco of the Southeast, I believe, Myrtle oh, Beach. Beautiful training grounds. Yes. <laughs> With lots of scenery. Oh. The dollhouse is right down the street. Yeah. Well, you spent a little bit of time there. Well, it's $5 steak and eggs after midnight. <laughs> How can you not? <laughs> yeah, it, it is truly one of the great cultural capitals It almost of, of the compares world. to the, the vegan buffet. Out near the airport. That's for you, Dino. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Thursday was an off day, so I took the bike out for an hour, just for an easy spin on some nice flat roads with lots of traffic. Um, (laughs) Friday, the... Sounds peaceful. Oh, it was. was. Friday, the the little one woke up early, and she was willing to to hop in the stroller, and we got out for an easy hour, which I was grateful there were some flat roads down there. Can't beat that. Um, So nothing special, just an easy hour, got in. About a little over seven and a half miles, an eight-minute pace or so. Saturday was, you thankfully, gave me a little bit of grace on the travel day home. So as an excuse to get the little one out of my wife's way as we got packed up, I took her out in the stroller and got in 30 minutes. Again, easy. Mm -hmm. Um, Just shuffling along. Just for life. Yeah. Right? There's no point in trying to force something in on that Saturday when you have a big travel day. Just a a good reminder for everyone. Give yourself some, some grace and some space. No, it, it was nice to, to get something worked in with the room that I had, but it was also nice not to have anything too overly prescriptive on that day where mm-hmm. it was, you know, we were kind of on a, a schedule that was not determined by me. Um, yeah. So got in a few easy miles though, which was good. Saturday was good, or excuse me, Sunday was good to be back in town. Got a nice long run in, joined you and Kyle for yeah. uh, a good bit of it and got in a little bit of the soft surface. And I'll talk a little bit later about the, the shoes I took out for that one. But it was just two hours, no specific effort, just nice and nice and easy. Uh, so got in about 15 miles there. Great. And then Monday, you you know where I was. I do. Uh, it was my lovely loop around town, uh-huh. out with friend of the show, Jim. Nothing special. Had a few strides thrown in there. And then yesterday was a, a big boy workout. Yeah. Yes. A good group out on the track. Yeah. Great workout. Before we get into it, I will say that this was a spot where I probably aired a little bit. And we got everybody out to start even earlier than we normally do. But knowing that this was a pretty beefy session, mm-hmm. I should have had either you get out even earlier because you yep. always have to leave first with yeah. your work schedule or the whole group should have started even earlier, which yeah. might have been too much to ask because yeah. we were already out there. I mean, we were finished before sunrise, yep. I think. No, and that's kind of towards the end. That's what I was thinking was that, you know, it was nice not to know what the workout was going into it. Yeah. But Getting in those first couple reps solo probably would have allowed me to finish the the whole thing. The workout, anyways, was a, a broken two miles. So I'll, you came up with it, so I'll let you explain it. Yeah, so I had a I had a buddy say to me later that day when he saw my workout, it must have seen my log on Strava, and he said, uh, 
boy, I really like that workout you did today. I'm going to have to use that with some of the people that I write training for. First, I said, well, no, it's mine. You can't. <laughs> uh, but I knew the general stimulus we wanted. I had some ideas floating around that I was really trying to tinker with and try to come up with something new to be fun and fresh yeah. for everybody. So I just created this the night before. I had nothing that nice. I was working from. Uh, but it was sets, as you said, of, of broken two miles. Yep. A mile at a marathon-ish effort, 200 jog, half mile at half marathon-ish yep. effort, another 200 jog, and then close with a quarter at 5K. Yep. So it was a lot about gear change. It was largely aerobic. That 400 at, at 5K is not a huge amount of time spent there yep. like to raise blood lactate levels super high. Well, and, and from my experience yesterday, it was more that that last 400 just felt hard. Mm -hmm. But it was really helping to cue into like the posture and the form and maintaining that smooth rhythm under fatigue. Yeah, that's a, a great point. I finished first from the rest of the guys. And so as the other guys went through their final set, those were the cues I was giving. Yep. And uh, just staying on the focus on relaxed form, not straining through this and just finding those paces and it was a little bit of selfishness in the fact that I might run a 5K soon, yeah. and I wanted to test that gear and Find see what gear. it felt like. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, largely an, a, an aerobic effort. I would consider this, if I were going to categorize this workout as something I would use for a certain event I'm training for, this is probably like a 10K or half marathon yeah. workout. Yeah. Right? Because you're working below at and above those bases yep. and you're getting a lot of volume, but it's really a strength yep. workout. Very yep. much so. And then today was just an easy, easy 30 minutes to shake things out. The legs were tired this morning, or I guess I went at lunch today, but yeah, legs were tired. So it's been a good week. I think uh, looking at the past seven days total, mileage is around 42 to 45. I think total mileage from Monday to this past Sunday was like 46. So for me, yep. mileage is, is really good right now. I think we're up to a great start for However many weeks, again, it is, you know better than I, to, to our race. Uh, at this point, I'm just worried about let's improve. Let's yeah. focus on getting better, winning each day. I also like the workout, and I wish I went to four sets, eight, yep. eight total broken miles. I, I wish that you could have gotten more of that because one trap that I see you fall into a little bit, and it's okay this time of year, Yeah, but you you get comfortable being comfortable. Oh, I 100% agree. With with a week. And, yeah. and just whether it's going up Paris Mountain, the same routine over and yep. over, and breaking you out of that and and, ch and challenging that is one of the tasks yeah. that I have and I think is going to be very important for us for you to be successful yep. in December. And even a little bit of it was uh, as I explained the workout at the track, there was like anxious kind of chuckle from you as I <laughs> described what was going to happen and the like... Oh, okay. This, yeah. this is what we're doing. This is going to be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. Now, as you said, it sounded like you ended up happy with it yeah. and, and largely successful if we could have gotten the total volume in. But that's a place that I want you to go to where you're a little nervous occasionally. And this was a beefy session. It's it's big boy work. And and we have to, to switch the mindset to being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And from my, my standpoint here, as someone who writes training for you, I'm either coaching it or letting it happen. Yeah. If I allow you to stay comfortable in that yeah. week after week after week, 
shame on me in yeah. the long term. Well, there's I, balance. I, I, no, I think that's a, a that observation is 100 percent dead on. And you know, I got in two of the full two mile repeats. The last time I just did the the 800 at half marathon pace because I had to get home. Would have been able to finish that third one. That would have really extended me, but extended me like I felt like I needed to be. Yeah. Like, the fourth one, I think, would have been too much for me. But, I mean, you're putting in much different mileage than I am. I also think that a weakness of mine is trying to find that repeatable week. And I've talked about that here before, where I like the idea of a basic week of something that you can repeat week after week after week for an extended period of time, but that's going to help build that fitness. But that as we start to target a race and actually try to not just build fitness, but level up that fitness. Yeah. I think that's something that needs to be, needs to be pushed. Yeah. There's a space for that, especially probably in a base period, but Rick Pitino, legendary basketball coach, high on basketball IQ, maybe low on (laughs) morals. (laughs) Uh, He he has famously written multiple times that the, if it's not broke, don't fix it mentality leads you into a trap. Yeah. And sometimes you have to break even when it when it's already good. You kind of yeah. have to break it and fix yeah. it yeah. so that you stay on edge. And even if that in the running in the running sense is just shifting the workouts for the same stimulus but doing something new, yeah. changing the schedule a little bit, that's going to be a key piece for yeah. us going forward. Quickly from my week Last Thursday, I, on dirt up at Lake Summit, did a 10 by one minute hill. Intentionally did that on a dirt hill that I don't normally run reps on that is in the woods at the lake where I'm not going to have GPS uh-huh. and it's all about effort. Nice. Um, well, and you talked about kind of getting away from, from routes that you're familiar with yeah. and that you I, There's have no comparison trap. For. That's right. So it was, uh, I did some strides also. It was a little over 10 miles in the morning. Went back out for five in the afternoon. It was a double the next day, 66 minutes easy in the morning, 33 easy in the afternoon. 19 mile long run on Saturday morning. Originally the plan was to just get around two hours. It ended up being a little longer. I went out with a, a nice group of guys and we were probably a little slower than I would normally run like the first half of it. Uh, but then it was a pretty good progression for me and a couple other guys. The last maybe four miles worked down to probably about half marathon Nice. Uh, by the end of it. As we said earlier, we were out on Sunday morning. Yep. I had 10 plus with that. Monday, got a nice little double in, a little over eight in the morning with some strides on the turf. And then about five in the afternoon, had our workout Yesterday that we already discussed, so again, for me, that was four sets of the broken two milers. Legs were also tired this morning. Normally, I would come back with like a short 20 or 30 minutes, yeah. but with work last night, I couldn't, so I just went back into my easy run this morning, and it started out pretty slow, but got about nine in, and then just before we started recording, went out for five miles on the double. Uh, for me, that would total up to about 100 miles nice. over the last seven days, so... In a happy place with that. Feel strong about what we're doing. Going to hit Cosmos Crit on Friday for some Ah, hills. So always a fun time. What do you say we transition to shoe review time? Ah, excellent. We haven't talked shoes in a while. It's been a little while. You want to go first? Do you want me to go first? Oh, why don't you take it first? Okay. I'm curious on your perspective of what you got. Yeah, super excited to dive into the all-new Saucony Endorphin Speed 3. 
It's been uh, a great shoe. Yes. Yeah, so this is the newest iteration. Well, of, I should say that line in general. Yeah, for sure. Newest iteration of the nylon plated entry in Saucony's Endorphin series. Uh, it's designed as kind of the training session complement to the Endorphin Pro being the racer. Yep. And there is more distinction between the two in the third version. Interesting. I believe intentionally from Saucony to create separation because uh, I don't want to speak for you, Phil, but I, I believe we agree on this, that in the previous two iterations, we both preferred the speed. Yeah. And might have used the speed in circumstances that Saucony probably wanted people to buy the Pro for. 100%, yeah. The Pro being the carbon-plated model. Yep. Much firmer shoe, designed as their racer, what their elites race in. But for a lot of the general public, that speed could have been a racing shoe, in addition to being the training shoe. Well, I think that is probably what Saucony was figuring out, that were, there were so many folks that maybe not on the, the pointy end of the performance spectrum, That's but right. that, like myself, that just an enthusiast that likes a little bit extra cushion, likes a little bit of extra stability. The Pro was good, but the Speed had a little bit more of, but also it's just a really, it's still a fast and light shoe in the Speed. The previous versions of both were very popular. A lot of our friends are in that yeah. Speed 1 and Speed 2. And so these are my impressions after about, I think we're getting close to 50 miles on this shoe now. First big picture thing is for what I'm using it for, I think it is better than its predecessors, nice. which were very good shoes. Yeah. And before I explain why, let me just hit you with some specs really quick. Manufacturer specs would put this right at the same weight as the version two, which is uh, about eight ounces in a sample size nine. That's what they use for yep. their weights. Their comparison. My size 11 and a half came in at 8.8. .8 ounces on the way in. It is an eight millimeter heel to toe offset. So that drop again is the same as the previous versions. Now the big takeaways. One, this shoe is built on a significantly wider base. Noticeable. Uh, I believe the forefoot uh, is, if the Saucony data I saw is correct, is seven millimeters wider in the new version than it was in the previous. That's quite significant. And it's it's noticeable. Yeah. It is absolutely noticeable. And I believe it's something like five millimeters through the midfoot. Okay. Wider than it was uh, before. I prefer that. Yeah. And that's one of the elements that to me makes it feel more traditionally Saucony. Yeah. The, the Speed 1 and 2 were a little out of the box compared to what Saucony did before. Even Saucony's edgy stuff of the previous generation was like your Canvara yep. or your Freedom. And I think you you notice some similarities to the best versions of those shoes. Well, and you have more insight since you've been in the shoe, but I think that extra width, both at the forefoot and the midfoot, probably give that shoe a much more stable ride 100%. and also work for a broader percentage of folks, whereas a narrower ride, when a shoe gets too narrow, it requires much more... I hate to use the term skill, but yeah. more control with your foot strike and your foot placement that not everybody might have, whereas having something a little bit wider gives you a little bit more room for error and to still be comfortable and stay healthy in the shoe. Agreed. Good point, Phil. Moreover, this also feels softer to me than the past editions. I believe in part that's about the flexibility of this version of the nylon plate. So uh, I'll come back to that, but the upper would be the other piece where I noticed that it feels a little softer. So although the weight is the same, 
it feels lighter on my foot than the previous two, and I uh-huh. think that's about the upper material mm-hmm. being both a little thinner and a little softer okay. than what they put in the previous mesh. I think that flexible plate could be the one big drawback. It, it the nylon being more flexible okay. than before. I don't think the the shoe feels quite as snappy, huh. and so it makes it. Uh, a shoe that I'm more comfortable doing more things in, mm-hmm. but I might not like it as much for the fastest of the fast yeah. things. My other big question mark going forward is going to be outsole durability. Uh, they reduced some of the ru- rubber coverage on the outsole. Uh, I'm guessing that was a weight reduction yeah. move. And early on, I'm seeing some signs that it might not wear as well over the life of the shoe, but it does feel grippier. Yeah. than it did before. So there's some trade-off there. That commentary comes from my use for some easy runs that I ended in strides. The hill session I did last week, and I thought that was where the shoe really shined because it feels so light. Nice. And then uh, a medium-long progression run about a week and a half ago was in this shoe as well. So overall verdict. I am not sure it's as good of a race option as the previous generations were for the masses, even yeah. though that's not necessarily the intent. It's designed to be more of a workout session shoe because it feels less snappy. I'd say fewer people are going to like that. Now in the world where people are used to plated shoes, right. the lightweight's going to feel great, but it's not quite as snappy. $169. I really enjoy it. I'm going to go somewhere straddling A minus B plus okay. for this shoe, which frankly, for me, I is fairly That's generous. Solid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I like it a lot. Yeah. I would be willing to buy another. Yeah. That's, I think that's a solid endorsement. And I imagine from your description, it sounds like the kind of shoe that eight years ago, you would have had no question racing a marathon in it, racing a 5K in it. Yep, the and last shoe I reviewed. Absolute premier, like, racing shoe. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, Phil. No. The last shoe I reviewed here was the Nike Street Fly, and in that way it fits in that same yeah. zone. I think that Street Fly is snappier than this. Okay. I think it feels faster. It's both a little bit lighter, and then that, that shank, midfoot shank, yep. I think gives it the feel more of a racing butt, but it's not as versatile yep. as this. I like them both. I yep. would put them both in the same kind of grade range. I would also put this in there with, I think I might like the New Balance Rebel still more than either shoe overall. Oh, interesting. But it's kind of in the same zone. What shoe you want to get into, Phil? So the newest one I've been in is the uh, the Brooks Glycerin 20. Ah, nitrogen infused. Uh, that's right. Oh, okay. um, which I guess I'll go ahead and start with the grade for it. And I'll give it a solid C. Okay. Um, it, It's nothing revolutionary. It has that new nitrogen infused EVA. Correct me if I'm wrong. That's right. It's new to Brooks, new but to not Brooks. new to the market. Yep. Yeah. So the idea of it being a little bit lighter, a little bouncier, which I think that is true, especially compared to glycerins I've been in in the past, which yeah. are just soft. marshmallow Yes. Um, this one is equally soft, but it has a little bit of rebound to it as well. So it's a pleasantly fun ride. It's not exciting, though. Yeah. Um, it comes That's in a at, good description. Yeah. It comes in at 10.1 ounces, so it's a, on the heavier side. Is uh, that that's the size nine? Size nine, yeah. yeah. yeah so not, it, not what you're wearing. You're no. probably up around eleven ounces. I would guess yours. so. I'm in an eleven, so I, it, it's and it feels appropriately heavy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. For an easy run, it doesn't really get in the way. I took it out this past weekend for the 
the two hours I was out there, that last 30 minutes, it got noticeably heavy. For me, where it fits is just a solid, easy, easy pace, everyday mileage shoe. Yes. Um, I think it works well for recovery because it does have a decent amount of cushion. It also has a 10 millimeter heel to toe offset, which I've talked about my Achilles issues in the past and that works really well. Some folks, especially with you know how low that offset has gotten over the past 10 or 15 years, some folks that seems very, very high. To me, it works. It works really pretty well. Actually, if you look across the market, ten is probably about a midpoint. Yeah. With everything that's there, you're going to see a lot of stuff at ten. Like virtually the entire Nike line, for example, yeah. yep. fits at a ten millimeter heel to toe offset. So it's it has a pretty wide platform as well, so it's very stable. Brooks is doing some interesting things with their like guide rail technology as well. The version I had did not have the guide rails. Yeah, it was so just the. That would be the Glycerin GTS yep. that would be the version with the guide rails. Um, and I think that's really cool technology in terms of how they're building in stability to the shoe. But e- even without that, that increased overall sole width gives that shoe natural stability. It is a shoe that I'm comfortable going out two hours in. You know, the, the upper's soft. It is luxurious. Ooh, um, I like that. Yeah. So, and that's kind of always a test for me as well is... Not just how does, it, how does it feel 30 minutes in? How does it feel for an hour? But how is it still feeling once I've been on my feet for 90 minutes to two hours? And yeah. I think it works well, but it's a it's a very traditional ride. And mm. I think that's kind of my my biggest takeaway with this shoe. Whereas, you know, a lot of different companies are putting in aggressive forefoot rockers, are putting in different densities of foam. So you're getting a wide variety of softness and of of rebound, whereas this ride just feels familiar. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's probably a personal preference. Yeah. So I think it's just a solid daily trainer, easy run shoe. Great. Thank you, Phil. So and before we move on to the next topic, I'll give the anti-review. This is what yes, we were talking about please. earlier. So uh, my wife's still upset about this, but two weeks ago, I lost the stride pod that I was using. We've talked about how I've used that in the past for monitoring both training load, but also effort Yeah. that the stride stride is a a sensor that goes on the shoe that measures what they call running power. Basically, it's a surrogate for pace, for effort, looks at essentially the force that you're putting into the ground. Yeah. And I really liked it. I used it for maybe three years or so because it was an instantaneous measure that was consistent that correlated very closely to like race pace efforts or specific targets I was trying to hit. Yeah. So, you know, say like for this past week, week where we had the workout on the track Tuesday, marathon effort, I could look at my watch, that stride would give me a power number that correlated to, here's where marathon effort should be, that was instantaneous, that I didn't have to worry about the GPS calculation, whether it was on the track or in the woods. Also, as part of that technology, they have a training load feature. So basically looking at how fast are you running relative to your race performances. And it would give you a number that you know, correlated to how some kind of external load. Unfortunately, I lost it the other day. I have no idea where, Uh-oh. but it just came off the shoe. And I've gone back and forth about whether or not to get it, Yeah, uh, get a new one. And I, as much as I really like that data, I, I've decided not to for now. Uh-huh. And the reason being is because, as we talked about earlier, with getting complacent with like training and mileage, yep. so much of my training sometimes has gotten into, okay, I want to hit this training load for the week or... I need to be on this running power for this workout. Yep. Where 
after having done that for so long, sometimes it became more about chasing those specific numbers. So it became to me too much of a game of like, okay, here's what it says I should be able to run X, Y, and Z races at. So I'm deciding to not replace it for now to kind of get away from that and let's, number one, just let the races' performances determine themselves. But number two, let's take a metric away that really isn't doing me any good chasing. Well, yeah, the metric became the outcome. Yeah, absolutely. And it's no longer a good metric. So There's... I think it's, it's going to be an interesting experiment over the next couple weeks, couple months to see if I end up liking that or really miss having that feedback. I like it. I'm excited to see it. If avoiding the paralysis by overanalysis, in fact, improves your running. Yeah. All right, let's go to some listener questions now. You want to read the first sure. one, Phil? Great. So this one's from a friend of the show, David, in Greenville. And he writes, I'm drawn to the marathon and long-distance races, having run four marathons and 250Ks in the past few years. That's impressive. My marathon PR is 334, and I would love to cut that down or shoot for something like a 315 marathon in the future. I have the idea that before my next marathon block of training, that it would be beneficial to work on improving my fitness in the shorter races, mile to 5K, to get more comfortable at handling faster paces, as I hope to drop my marathon time in the future. Is there any merit to that idea, or is that just wishful thinking? Yes, there's merit to that <laughs> idea. Let's move to the next question. <laughs> next question. No, that's the short answer. Uh, but yes, there is, absolutely. So I'll go through the reasons why. Yeah. First, if you stay in endless marathon cycles year after year after year, there's a real chance that you'll get in a, get in a rut of training the same skills over and over, and it could yield lack of development and or burnout. That is a problem a lot of marathoners face because they get so comfortable, again, yep. in marathon. Next point, just look at the training week we just described to you. We are both prepping for a marathon. We're going to race on the same day. That's our big goal for this year. But I would say that the training that I am doing right now and one of the workouts we were together, this is 10K training. Yep. I believe that faster pace, you might not need to go down to mile training. 5K could be really helpful, yeah. though. 10K, I think, is very... Uh, it's it's beneficial in that it's highly efficient in developing the higher-end paces that are necessary for marathon development. You're talking about raising your ceiling. Yep. It's incredibly hard to run 26 miles at... Uh, I'm going to use seven-minute pace because that's just slightly faster than his PR. Yep. If you can only run one at 645 and we want to improve economy and our thresholds and get as close to that fastest mile as you can. But in this scenario, if I can move that number and make it 545, there's so much room for growth. Yeah. So while mile pace is nowhere near the most important variable in training for a marathon, ultimately we are held back by the fractionalizations of our speed at the highest rates. Yep. For myself, I know that my max numbers like a VO2 max and my high-end speed are probably not as good as a comparable marathoner, but that's from years and years and years of running a lot of miles and working on the high-end aerobic skills and raising that floor, yep. but I want to lift the ceiling as well. What David is asking about and describing truly is a base general to specific model for marathoning. Yep. We think about moving from base to, to specific like a pyramid, but in many ways that is untrue of the marathon, that traditional pyramid where 
this is so true of like 5k training and cross-country training where you do the base general aerobic work and you move towards this point of sharpening faster stuff i like the funnel metaphor this is what renato canova uses while his marathon methods and training may be overkill for the average runner he's working with elites who can handle a lot of quality and quantity the idea of sprinkling different variables all the way around the edges i'm salting the rim of that margarita right right and so i'm getting all the stuff and then as it moves through the funnel i move toward more specific i do the marathon stuff later so to that point I encourage everyone to check out an article that was in Podium Runner from a couple years ago, and you can get this via Outside Online. It's entitled, Steve Spence's Best Race and How He Achieved It. And the connection to our topic screams at us from the subtitle, quote, Spence was ready to give up on the marathon until he turned his training upside down, Mm -hmm. end quote. So, Uh, If you don't know Steve Spence, he won a bronze at the 91 World Championships Marathon in, I believe, Tokyo. We've had at most a handful of Americans get world champs or Olympic medals in the marathon. I mean, he's in a list with uh, Frank Shorter and Galen Rupp and Meb and maybe one or two more. Well, and he's also run a sub five mile for 40 years I want to say it was something like 47 consecutive years to run sub five. Yeah. And so the article actually details the autumn before his world championships bronze when he won the Columbus Marathon. And the big switch he made was not doing a ton of endurance work early and then moving through a traditional taper where you get faster towards the race. That's now more common to not do that, to get more specific. But even in what many consider a somewhat of a dark age of American distance running marathoning in the 90s, our best, we're doing the faster work early and the marathon-paced work later as a way to break through that plateau and marathoning that Spence felt. And it, it allows those efforts you do, like a marathon effort tempo later on, just to feel more comfortable, to yeah. take away the whole physiological of, of training what's happening. It can allow it to feel easier and to grow your confidence. So... For all those reasons, I say yes. Great. Go for it, Dave. I agree. From my perspective, in general, it's it's a good idea. But as you mentioned, improving just that overall fitness, regardless of whatever race you're training for, is going to improve fitness across the board. Yes. You know, whether that's training for a 5K, in this case, it's setting up marathon fitness, or whether that's conversely somebody that's wanting to rest 5K fast. Yeah. Addressing some marathon type training to build that aerobic bringing base. up the aerobic yep. base, right, and raising your threshold. Yeah. yeah, so just improving that overall fitness that you're going to get from that different stimulus is going to be productive. The other note that you made is just changing the speeds that you're training at. Mm-hmm. You know, as we looked at our weeks, that if we look at the whole week in general, we're we're hitting every single pace at some point during that week. Yeah. Now it may not be. A significant amount, you know, we may be hitting 3K, 5K pace with just a handful of strides or you know, a couple 400s, but we're hitting everything from that top end speed to just easy recovery pace on a pretty frequent basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how you balance that through the week it depends on what, where you are in your training cycle, but you know, absolutely that training for a 5K is going to help that marathon performance. 
And as you mentioned, you know, even though 5K speed is not a limiter in your marathon performance, developing the comfort running at those paces, developing the the movement patterns, the neuromuscular control that you hit at that speed is going to make your your power, your posture, and your just comfort yeah. at those marathon paces that much more comfortable and that much more efficient. To clarify what you just said and maybe how I stated it earlier, I do believe 5K speed is somewhat of a limiter, but not a determinant. Fair. Yeah, yeah. just to clarify Want to go to the next one? Let's move on. Okay, go ahead. So, from Lauren in Georgia, thank you for all the excellent content. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for saying that. That's right. Uh, I'm looking to run a fast marathon this winter, and I'm trying to decide on the right race. The front runner right now is Mercedes in Birmingham at the end of February. I'm looking for a course where I can run fast, but one that has hills. I love trail running, so I like hills, and they play to my strengths. I have no desire to run a flat marathon, but really want to PR, so I also don't want to run the Atlanta Marathon, for example. I live just north of Atlanta. I'm willing to travel, but finding something not too far from home is a bonus. I like this one because marathoners, especially after you've done a few, start to go on this search of what's the best fit for me where I can perform really well. And I thought it'd be fun to go over a few uh, examples. So fortunately for Lauren, the best runner marathons are largely going to be in the South, just given weather. The fastest is probably Houston in January, but that's almost a pancake. So although I would recommend it to the general population as a great fast winter option, we'll eliminate it for her. For the fastest in Georgia that time of year, I would think it's Snickers Marathon at Albany. Albany. Uh, That's the first weekend of March. Although it's not Houston flat, I still wouldn't consider it at all hilly. So possible option, but probably not the one for Lauren's situation, but one for other folks to yeah. think about. I don't blame her for not wanting to do Atlanta. That That's a well-organized, well-operated event, but it is a super challenging that course, course to, to run a PR. Yeah, Mercedes in Birmingham certainly has hills, uh, but it's likely a little better option for a quick time than Atlanta. Uh, but it, it is deceptively hilly if you're not from that area and you think, oh, Alabama. Yeah. Uh, it's It's got some climbs to it. I would put Austin in February in that category as well, where I believe it's a little bit more conducive than Atlanta. You've done that there, haven't you? I have, but that's on a different course. Okay. Yeah, that's a separate time of year. It's a great race, really well organized, and it always gets a very strong field. I think at this point, the depth of field there is stronger than Birmingham. But as far as actual course, we're probably similar. The fastest course in February, if you are able to travel, I would guess is Phoenix Mesa. That has climbing, but it's actually definitely much more downhill than up. And the late miles are pretty much flat. So... While it has some early climbing, it's more than offset. With It's a net downhill, point to point. The one that comes to mind for Lauren's situation, amid all these great examples, would be if you're willing to wait till mid-March, that's Tobacco Road in Raleigh Uh, is a great option. Uh, So the weather there that time of year is traditionally spot on. I've done the half there, perfect day, like in the 40s, beautiful. It's rolling, but it's a gentle grade through much of the course because a lot of that is rail-to-trail type grade. 
You get a packed dirt limestone that is most of the course. I, I don't remember exact number of miles, but you're going to get a lot of miles on that American still Tobacco Trail. Service, though, right? That, that's right. So the, the good news is it's firm enough that the footing's great. It's a little bit easier on the impact on your body than being on the road. So that trade-off a lot of folks like. There's a group that I know that trains out of Anderson, and they have a group of ladies that go like every year to huh. Tobacco Road. It's their favorite. So I think that the trade-off there, it's likely not going to cost you much speed as compared to the pavement, and it's probably faster than going to Birmingham. And it Typically has some pretty fast folks there yeah. as well at, at Tobacco Road. Added perk, the last mile has a pretty good downhill. So that's a nice, like, it's gradual, you know, it's controlled, but a nice downhill in the last mile. That can be nice at that point in the yeah. race. Last thing I'll add here is I recommend for everyone checking out findmymarathon.com. Oh, that's a great website. So that is great, particularly for looking at elevation profiles. So you can see all this. They can be a, mi- a bit misleading for some courses because that they're trying to average out grades over mm-hmm. short spaces that are really undulating. Well, don't they also give you like finish time comparisons? They do. Now, they're accurate or not, I don't but... like those so much, but they also do give a, a variable called a PR score, which factors yeah. in typical weather. And so that could be helpful yep. as well. It's a useful tool. And that's for anybody, a you know, great calendar, um, almost every marathon. Uh, so if you're planning a marathon anywhere... Check it out. Okay. Next question, Phil? Yep. So from one of our athletes, James, as a side note, Travis, I am very curious to hear your perspective because I took some notes on this and kind of my thoughts, but I honestly don't know where you're going to come down on this. But assuming an athlete has the ability to run continuously, is there any benefit to incorporate walking into the training cycle? So my answer broadly is yes, but we should answer this in different contexts. Yep. So first... The question assumes this is a developed athlete who can consistently complete continuous runs. So in that case, it's important to note that I'm not aware of any study showing variables like increased capillary density for well-developed runners switching to walking. We know marathoners 100 plus years ago included the brisk walk. As a, Long walks. Yes, <laughs> as a key and frequent uh, part of their training plan. But that's not the same as saying a marathoner did it 50 years ago. Yeah. Because that was the start of the marathon boom. And guys like Frank Shorter weren't going for long walks right. as a substitute for running within their training. So some training mechanisms have evolved in the past half century, but a lot of marathon training is at least somewhat similar. Whereas when we go back a century plus, it looks very, very different different. in the training, in the nutrition, all those variables. So we don't see that commonality with that era of heavy walking now being a part of running training. The two areas of benefit that I see are one in recovery Mm -hmm. and two mental health. Interesting. We know the blood flow induced from a casual stroll can be huge help in recovery. And frankly, the exceptionally slow, like Kenyan, poly, poly type runs, they're sandwiching those in between a lot of really hard sessions. 
and there's a reason that they do them so slowly. But there's also plenty of stories from folks who visit there who see this in action and will tell you, I could probably just walk at that pace. Yeah. So that poly poly approach might serve a, a true training purpose as part of a progressing into a warm up to actually function in running that slow, mm-hmm. being valuable. If it wasn't so culturally valued there, I'm not sure you couldn't just replace it with walking, frankly, and get the same yeah. thing that they want to get yeah. or something really close from, from a recovery session perspective. Yep. And we know there are countless studies on the benefits of being in nature mm-hmm. or decluttering our minds while walking as perhaps a processing mechanism a place of mindfulness, of meditation. Mm-hmm. There's no question that has a broader benefit for your general health. And if we take that and translate it to running, general health, happiness, and wellness allow you to be in a space where I think you can better train yeah, to be you can absorb fast. More training. Yeah. Walking is such a quintessentially human experience. It is something that we are made to do, to embrace movement through space. So I love this as part of training. But if you are in a, an athlete who is well-developed and has the ability to run continuously, I don't see this substituting for the things you're doing in running. Interesting. I kind of come down the same same line. I think there's absolutely a place... And let's kind of define our circumstances. You know, in, in workouts, as part of a recovery interval, absolutely, if that's what the intention of the workout is. For replacing recovery runs, you know, like you mentioned, the Kenyan poly poly runs, definitely. It's just adding that little extra aerobic training that has a bit less impact, much like you might go swim or go ride the bike for a little bit of extra aerobic development. But uh, those are more truly developing you aerobically. If we're assuming this is already... A developed athlete. Fair. If yeah. we were to step back, because I, I had another answer outlined where I was thinking about this from the perspective of the person who is developing as a runner, yep. then what you're saying makes a lot more sense to me, but I don't think that's the person in question okay. here. That's fair. Okay, just to delineate. Yep. The one question, the one area that, I, that I'm kind of mixed on is as part of a long run. And six months ago, I would have said, no, there's no real place for it. But... You mean stopping during a long run to walk? No, just walking. Yeah, to stop and walk. Yeah. Because there was an article that came out that Marius Bakken wrote looking at his training program for a marathon. Mm -hmm. And through those cycles, he has several three-hour runs that are broken with, you know, 10 minutes running, one minute walking. And this isn't just for, like, a developing runner, but Mm -hmm. this is for somebody that's running for performance. Well, it's allowing him to get a more significant chunk of total time right. on his so feet. So you're getting a whole lot more time on feet. And yeah. so I think that's a curious way to incorporate that and probably has some value. Joe, Joe Newton did that at York High School interesting. as well. And that's interesting because those two have a connection. Mm-hmm. That's where Bogdan, when he was in the States. Ah, that's right. Yep. Went, yeah, I don't remember the exact numbers, but if you, I know there was some training, 80s training logs from York High School in Illinois, which was a, a dominant power at the time. There's the documentary film, The Thin Green Line, about mm-hmm. them, where I believe like every easy day they would chunk this. They'd do like you ran 45 minutes and then walked and 
caught your breath and got a drink or whatever, and then went back out, and it would be smaller chunks each time. And so it allowed you to mentally kind of wrap yourself around, oh, now I only have to do 15 more minutes. And it was a way for them to increase volume that they did with all their kids, not just their most advanced runners. So I I do see the parallels there. Yeah, frankly, Phil, I I don't do that in my long running, but I don't have a problem with the idea. And I, I know it's not a common practice to really extend long runs out that long all that often. Yeah. But I think that's a curious test case at least. Yeah. And and he certainly has the results to, to back it up. Yeah. It's the same concept though of just like to, to use him as an example in this Norwegian model of trying to get as much time as possible at or slightly below these threshold efforts. Yep. In specific zones. Right. Yeah. And so rather than doing your 20 minute tempo run, if we can break it and walk in between and yep. get 30 or 35 minutes... Is that then more valuable? The yeah. assumption would be yes. Yeah. And so we're now applying that to walking as segmented within runs, which again, I yep. guess I, I didn't think about in the context of the question, but I like it. Yeah. But really, I, I, my final point, and I think is, is really probably where the spirit of this question come from comes from, uh, as a re- replacement for like just your average easy run. I don't know how much value there is there. Yeah, you know, so my general answer to that is no. Yeah, especially when, when you're capable of going out and running, you know, 30 minutes to an hour or so most every day. You know, replacing that with just a, a walk, I, that's not going to give you any added benefit to your training. Yeah. Want to go one more? Yeah. This kind of comes from several recent emails and really is about super shoes and kind of the new technology out there. Yep. Uh, when and how should I use them? At what ability level are they worth the investment? Can you rank or categorize them? Yeah, we had to compile multiple people have have gone back to this because we keep touching on it at times. So let me begin here with the when and how. You have options. Well, let let me interrupt you. Let's actually back up and kind of define our our terms here because the market is really becoming, I don't want to say saturated, but there's so much out there that could be considered super shoes. Right. And so I, I would say let's look at it from a materials perspective. So what foam is being used in there? And then also, let's look at it from any additional things that are put into the shoe, specifically like plates, whether they are or not put in there. And that's anything from carbon to nylon to, to nothing. Probably interrupted your train of thought. Well, but... no, that's actually the exact thing I was going to say. Oh, so... well, you're welcome. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> so you have options, but they're limited by what's actually in the shoe yep. that you're going to use. A plated shoe... To me, regardless of what that plate is made out of, whether it's carbon or nylon, which the the carbon is the most aggressive and most common in the fastest iterations of these shoes. And the plated shoes, I don't like every day. Yeah, That's the option that I don't like because I consider that a recipe for foot or lower leg health issues, Yep, uh, given limits on strength, range of motion, a lot of factors there. Well, and I think to dig into that a little more, with that plate being a much more rigid structure that forces your foot to go through a very specific repetitive mm-hmm. path of motion that a shoe that does not have a plate to it is going to have a little bit more flexibility and allow you a lot more degrees of freedom to move along that motion path. Great description. Outside of that every day with the plated versions, and then we have the foams that are so advanced from yep. where we were a decade ago. Yeah, five years are, ago. They're lighter, they're bouncier, mm-hmm. they're softer, there's more of it. Yep. 
But I would generally say when we discuss super shoes, 99% of them, a plate in them. Yep. There's very few that fit into this category that are not plated. There's some yep. borderline stuff. Like if you wanted to say a Nike street fly with a shank, but frankly, in today's world, I don't think it's a super I, shoe. I wouldn't classify that as a super shoe. Yeah. Okay. So we're generally going to talk about plated stuff. So get rid of every day. Beyond that, I consider this like the Outback Steakhouse approach to shoe selection. <laughs> no rules, just right. Whatever works for you. I have no idea where you're going You got this. choices. Well, you, bring in a blooming onion. All right. <laughs> to stay healthy, for most of us, the critical thing is just don't overdo it. I'll explain what I do. Well, I think in, in shoes in general, one of the best things you can do to stay healthy is to have a variety of shoes. Yep, absolutely. Different impacts, different muscle uses uh, down the line. Yep. I race in the Nike Vaporfly. Phil, you do as well, yep. correct? As far as a ranking, I still believe that is the crown jewel of the super shoes. Yep. The the newest iteration, the, the next percent yep. two they're on now of the Nike Vaporfly. I also will do some workout sessions in just older versions of those that have a, some mileage on them. They're not dead, but I probably wouldn't want to break them out for the big race yep. of the year. I do any steady or progressive long runs or any long or medium long runs with quality in the Nike Alpha Fly. I love this for the reason of the amount of cushion in it protecting my legs, and I believe it leads to quicker recovery times. Yep. And we've talked about that as well with the ZoomX foam. Those are both the Vaporfly and Alpha Fly are both soft shoes despite having a carbon plate yep. in them. And that plate is what creates the snap. The Alpha Fly has gotten me a ton of mileage. It's way more durable than the early Nike Super Shoe iterations. Well, and I think a lot of that hype, I guess, that was around those early Super Shoe iterations was kind of overblown. And that we're seeing that those shoes can go a whole lot further than was originally thought. And the early ones, some of that came from outsoles that weren't very durable. Mm -hmm. That it, it went there before the rest of the yeah. shoe really went. It's not the midsole, but it's the outsole that yes, wears. Yes, exactly. I will say, though, in general, the newer Vaporfly versions and the Alpha Fly, the harshness of the plate that develops over time and wearing the shoe as the, as yeah. the foam is compacted and, and broken down is less noticeable. It takes a longer time before you reach that point. And that is moving towards my overall favorite, even though I don't race in it, just for what it provides in my running. Also, in the lab testing, both have shown the best return on running economy in what are probably admittedly possibly flawed yeah. studies. But nonetheless, in their control that they created, yep. those show the highest running economy returns. And that's not just the Nike studies at this point. That comes yeah. from outside of Nike as well, independent studies to reinforce it. Uh, next, beyond those two in the rankings, I might go with the new ASICs Metaspeed series the yeah. plus stuff that's coming that will it's out but it'll be available to the masses next month in september you'll have broader access we're seeing great results from the pros racing in these both marathons and tries yeah. and shorter road races i believe it's the most stable shoe in this category that's the thing i really like and it rides that thin line between soft and firm it's it's really the midpoint here on Everything to the left of that Asics I consider a soft shoe. That's where I'm going to put the Nikes, okay. where I'm going to put the New Balance Super Shoes, like the RC Elite, yeah. or what will come out the Super Comp Elite yep. version 3, the first of 2023. 
And then to the right is where I put the firm stuff, and some of that can get harsh. Yeah. Uh, my example there are the Hoka Super Shoes. Yeah. Hoka makes some great stuff, particularly on the trails. You and I both love their oh, torrent. Uh, but frankly, I put the Hoka stuff at the bottom of the list on my Super Shoe rankings. I actually like the Bondi X the most of all the Hoka offerings. Interesting. I never race it. It's just the most comfortable. Yeah. Uh, I find their stuff to be really quite harsh. The New Balance, the New Balance, excuse me, and Saucony stuff is also quite good, and some might prefer it to the Asics. Again, if you like a soft and you want to go away from the Nike, the New Balance is good. I found it to be quite durable. Uh, I've mentioned this on here before. It feels a little more like a traditional flat in how it sits, the the angle at which you sit in the shoe, and you're a little lower to the ground in the first two versions. I've used both of those extensively and enjoy them. As to the question of what ability, simple answer is, what ability level is this worth the investment? I've been at big marathons, and I've seen people anywhere from two hours to four hours wearing this stuff across the board. The Nike more than anything else, but now as we have more good options, you're seeing a bunch of them. People find what feels good to them. They may benefit some people more than others. I think there's pretty good evidence that that's, that's true based on certain efficiency factors. But here's my general guidance. Do you like the feel of the shoes? Do they feel fun to run in? Do you feel like maybe you're going to move a little bit faster in it, even if it's placebo? And if so, are you serious about running your fastest, regardless of the absolute time that translates to? If you answer yes and check all those boxes, then go for it. Yeah. Don't let anybody try to put you in a box of saying you're too slow to wear them. Who cares? It's not somebody else's race. That's your decision of if you want to invest the money and where it fits in your budget. We're going up to potentially $275 here with an Alpha Fly. That's a huge commitment. I, yep. I understand that. Now, of course, the triathlete on the scale of what they're spending <laughs> stuff on, it's... That's it's penny compared to a set of Absolutely. Races. You better be in them. Yeah. Um, but I would say then to that person, at least try them on and see what you think. So if we were to rewind to our first question, we'll end with this. To our, our listener who was in the 330s somewhere, and, and if that person is thinking about it, I'd say, yeah, try them on. See what you think and, and decide what works for you. And frankly, at this point, with the regular training shoe now approaching on average $150, yeah. if there's something at 200 that you can race in and possibly use for some other stuff as well, why not give it a shot and go for it if you really want to? Well, and I think from my perspective, I mentioned earlier the value of having just different shoes in general to rotate through. This gives a really nice option for those those big days. Yes. Um, but again, to your point, you know, who are they for? Really, it's anybody that enjoys them. Yes. We're using them for pretty similar uses. Yeah. I, I know plenty of folks who would prefer not to use it until race day to get that extra little boost to feel even sharper, uh, which is another approach you could go with. But uh, hopefully that helps... A number of folks who have emailed us navigate through what yeah. they should do in, in purchasing their next race shoe. Before we go quickly, I'm going to give a little teaser from another question we had. It said, I enjoyed the recent episode of Cornerstone 5K training workouts. Do you have a common or popular workout that you dislike and try to avoid in training and why? And I could answer this in two sentences. Sentence one, Yasso 800s. <laughs> Sentence two, Why? Because they're not a marathon predictor. <laughs> know why you're doing what you're doing when you're doing it. Episode they have, 128 right They there. could have a place that's somewhere, but 
Yeah, I don't even want to talk about him any more than that. So there's your <laughs> quick answer to that one. Sorry to the to that listener. Send me another email. We'll get we'll get into more discussion of that in an email exchange, please. I'd be happy to answer that one. Thanks so much for listening to Mile 127. It's been a joy to take some of your questions and comments. As always, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., etc. And you can contact us at secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. Everyone have a wonderful week, and we will talk to you soon.